for some of you, that slide will be familiar to you. Um, it's because it's the, the message that I preached over the Christmas services for both our Eve as well as day. And it was a, it was a, it was a two-part series. Um, and going into why he came and, and ultimately this verse comes to mind, I'm sure, on why he came. That's really, he came, Jesus Christ came to earth because we just celebrated his birth, did we not? He came to seek and save the lost. Now, I, did a, you know, I put a little twist on that over Christmas. I didn't do your ordinary Christmas message for those who weren't able to be here. Um, I presented a message in that he came to grant us faith or he came, us, he came to allow us to really to have faith because if he didn't come, then what would we have faith in? Nothing, right? And so I talked about the, uh, the three kinds of faith, which people, uh, I found out, was quite confusing. Uh, three, the three kinds of faith we talked about was, of course, saving faith, the faith that saves us, where you either have it or you don't. We talked about sanctifying faith, the faith that allows us to grow in our, and mature in our faith, we know that can't be saving faith because um, our saving faith doesn't grow. I, lots of people give different names to this kind of faith, but sanctifying faith is, is the one I came up with because it started with S. And also, I know it doesn't start with S, but I added spiritual gift, the gift of faith. When you look at the gift of faith found in 1 Corinthians 12, it's something totally different. It's not saving faith and it's not sanctifying faith because only a select few get the gift of faith. And sometimes it's just for a moment. Sometimes um, it's, it's often. Um, it's, but we say it's very rare, the gift of faith. What I was trying to get, though, through those messages, I was trying to address those, those Christmas Christians. You know the ones I'm talking about? The ones who usually just attend church during Easter and Christmas, and that's their, um, that's their, their duty, that's their, their active worship towards our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Whereas worship is meant to be something done every day because it's different levels. Still, people just devote Sunday to worship and just do whatever during the week. But we're told in Romans 12, every day is, uh, should be an act of, of worship. Whatever we find ourselves doing, we should be doing as worship towards our Lord Jesus, Saviour, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus Christ. And so I went on about, what's three signs that your faith is maturing? Because that's really the goal for our faith, not just to have faith, but for our faith to mature. Well, I came up with, and these are not just the only three, by the way. This is just what was on my heart. You consistently walk by the Spirit. So we talked about that. Um, for those who don't know what walking by the Spirit means, you might be new and, and have no idea what that's talking about. It's pretty much just saying that each and every moment when we come to you know, a time where um, we're tempted to do something that um, God doesn't want us to do, we have a choice. We can either do what Jesus would do, and we say that's walking by the Spirit, or we're expressing Jesus, or we can do something that Jesus doesn't want us to do. We call that walking by the flesh, or sinning. <laughs> I don't know where you want to put it. And so if we, our faith 
if we're mature if we consistently walk by the Spirit. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? Now, is that too warm for you? Do you want it colder? I'll make it colder. It's okay. Because I'm a bit hot too. It's all right. Number two, your love for others is growing. That was another sign. Um, that's a gibby. And number three, your understanding of his love for you continually grows. Now, when we first become a Christian, we don't automatically know everything about God and know everything about his love. I'm continuing to discover things about his love for me that you know, I didn't realize when, um, back in the day. It's, it's an ongoing experience, just like our loved ones. I'm continuing to learn more about my wife that, that helps me appreciate her more and love her more. And it helps me understand her love for me. And when she first gave me a foot massage, wow, I really understood more of her love for me. Um, she's knowing more of her love, um, her mum's love for her over this Christmas holidays. Because, you know, we've been praying for my son, Freddie, and, um, and thank you for your prayers during that Christmas day. He slept all the night through that night, but then he woke up with vomit in his bed. So he slept all through his vomit. Sleep vomiting, they call it. Um, and I found out my wife did the same thing when she was a kid. And then my wife grew a deeper understanding of her mum's love for her because when she was cleaning it all up and, and coping with Freddie, it's, oh, wow, wow, my mum put up with this when I was younger. The love grew. Same as with God. Our love, our understanding of his love grows through experiences, through knowledge, through his word. And so, for us today, a new year, I just direct you to the pastor's pen in the bulletin, just that little snippet I wrote about, about New Year's resolutions. How often do we, do we make ourselves resolutions that are to do with our spiritual life? It's more about the physical things. What about our spiritual life? Do we ever make resolutions to that? And maybe those are some three things you could put on your list this morning. But this was the ultimate question. Why? I want to know the why. Why does God desire for your faith to mature? Why? Why does He just want us to remain as babes in Christ? Just babies, just knowing that God loves us, that's it. Why does He want us to, des why does He desire for us to grow? Because obviously it's, it's important in Scripture, and that's why we went through those verses that says that. Well, ultimately I think it's this. Um, firstly, though, it is for our benefit. It is for our benefit. It's not for God's benefit. It's for our benefit. And ultimately, I don't think our joy can be the fullest it can be unless we mature in Christ. But part of that maturity, part of that joy, comes in doing this. Fulfilling an instruction, a commandment that... Jesus personally gives his disciples. And I'm confident that that same address can be applied to us in 
2023. Go and make disciples. So this morning's message, just briefly, I want to touch on making disciples. Just renewing our focus on what it means to be a Christian. Because as I said, it is. It is possible just to remain as a baby Christian and not consistently live by the Spirit. Just look at the church in Corinth. Read the letter of 1 Corinthians and you'll find out what Paul is addressing. The same things that even um, unbelievers would do. That non-Christians would do. They're doing it. And they're in the Bible. Could it be in the Bible for an example for us? And it's even worse. He actually says in, 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 in particular, in relation to one person at that church, he even says, even what you're doing, even the non-Christians wouldn't even do that. <laughs> and here they are in the church doing it. Making disciples. What exactly is making a disciple? What is discipleship? What's a disciple? And so I looked at the word. Ultimately, it just means a learner. A learner, a follower. A follower. And so we're going to be getting to something um, a, a little bit controversial that I've been saying over the last few weeks since we've been going through Romans is the fact that... Um, not every Christian is a disciple. But every disciple is a Christian. A lot of people disagree. A lot of scholars disagree with that statement. But just because you are a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that you are a disciple. There could be times in your life where you are not actually doing what God has instructed you to do. You're living by the flesh rather than by the Spirit. Making disciples. You could just say it's mentorship. We are mentoring someone. We're teaching them what you already know. And so I'll say it from the outset. How can you teach someone something that you don't already know? When you go to a new job, and you have a mentor showing you the ropes. Does the boss ever pick a newcomer to be your mentor? No, because they don't know the ropes. They don't know. They don't have the knowledge. Well, how are we supposed to teach someone of spiritual truths if we don't even know it ourselves, if we don't even follow it ourselves? We're not even mature ourselves. As we said, uh, as I said a couple of times, you know, babies do not reproduce babies. Only adults reproduce babies. We know that biologically, we know that physically, and the same is spiritually. This is the instruction, if you're not familiar with Matthew chapter 28. These are some of Jesus' final words to his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so briefly, I'll just go through three, three things. Three things that we're told 
that involves making disciples. Three things that we are to do. So that's the application for us today. First one's go. And you'll notice that all these verbs are in the participle tense. So go actually means as you go or going. Participles, those ing verbs, by the way, if you're lacking in your English grammar. These ones are plainly um, thought out for us, uh, expressed for us. Baptizing them in the name. And third one, teaching. So those are the three things we are to do as a church. We are to go, we are to baptize, we are to teach. Before we go any further, though, this is a question I've had, and I'm sure um, many people have had as well. Is this just for the disciples or for us as well? And you can go beyond that. Is this just for me, the pastor of the church, or is it for all of us? Is it just for us to do it together or even individually? Again, that's another question. I can say for sure that this is just not for the disciples, even though it's just dressed exactly the disciples. I say that for two reasons, the first and the second part of these two verses. It says, go and make the disciples of all nations. Did the disciples reach all the nations? No, it was an ongoing thing. So that, to me, implies that it's an ongoing thing. And whoever succeeded the apostles, then whoever they passed it on to, well, they were to do the same. And then the second part, at the end of the verse, says, I am with you always to the end of the age. To me, that implies that this is a process that is to do until the world is gone, until the end of the age. Go. Go. But how many, how many of us actually go? And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about going over to Cambodia or going over to Africa or anything like that. I'm not talking about that. Because that doesn't apply to each and every one of us. God does not call each and every person to an overseas nation. He only calls a few. But he calls everyone to go. And that might involve going to the other side of the street. Next door. Going over to that colleague of yours. Going over to that club mate. Maybe going over to that person that's just sitting there by himself um, at the shopping center. Has anyone had that? You know, that prompting before, and you said, eh, nah, you'll most likely not want to listen to what I have to say. <laughs> I confess, <laughs> I've, I've done that. <laughs> I've disobeyed, all right. For some, though, it might mean, and this might get too close, it means going to the other side of the room after church and starting a conversation with that person that you haven't met, that's just standing there by themselves. That's going. But in every case, it's getting out of your comfort zone. I think we're too familiar just with being in comfort. Because I, I, I'm there. This is against my personality. 
because I know most of the people in this room, or the, the, the regular attendees, most of the personalities are introverts. We find it hard to go, get out of our comfort zone and start a conversation. It's much easier just having a conversation after church with the person that we know about, catching up with them, oh yeah, how's it going, blah, 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 and then ignoring that person who we don't know, they're just visiting church, but they come to us, we only have to go five meters, but then we find ourselves still not going. We can't make disciples sitting on the couch. We have to go. And that relates to all kinds of contexts. Going. Continually going. And that's for a lot of us. Continually getting out of our comfort zones. Our little safe spaces. And if that means for you, needing to Google, hmm, how to start a conversation with a stranger or something like that, do it! Whatever gets you out of the comfort zone. So important. Maybe you might have an opportunity this morning. We have a few visitors in the room. The next thing is baptize. We are to baptize them. This, to me, tells that first, in order for him to become a disciple, they have to become a Christian. We have to convert them. We have to lead them to Jesus Christ, which involves, it's implied that it's preaching the gospel. Because how else do we become a Christian? We've been just going through Romans 10, and how does faith come about? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing from, or hearing about a, a word about Christ. Hearing about the gospel, in other words. And then they have a response. They have a, they have a choice, rather. You can either accept and believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. In other words, because you're saying to that person, hey, you're a sinner. You are a sinner, right? You need forgiveness. How do we get that forgiveness? And they almost look like they say, well, I think God will forgive me in the end because, you know, ultimately I'm overall a good person. In other words, my good deeds all my bad deeds, and I understand, I th oh, I think God, no, I know God will understand that because my good deeds outweigh all my bad deeds, then I'll be right on judgment day when he, when, he, when he finds me guilty or not guilty. Or it could be, hey, I'm doing this, I'm going to church every Sunday, I'm, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying to God, I'm, I've got baptized, I've done all this stuff to make sure I'm right with God. Regardless, they need forgiveness. They need to be cleansed in order to go to heaven, in order to be even to have a relationship with our Creator. We're told that. And we're told your cleansing, your forgiveness can only come through what we are talking about or celebrating this morning through the blood of Jesus Christ, through what He did on the cross. The only way you can get forgiveness and faith in that belief in that, trust in that, whatever word you want to put, that's it, that only that, nothing else. It's Jesus and Jesus alone forgives you of your sins. And so, what do you want to do? Do you want to believe that? Do you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And they say, yes. Oh, that's great. That's great. Call upon the name of the Lord to save you. 
and he'll save you. That's what we're told. Do you want to be saved? Yes. Let's call upon him right now. And for some of us, that's a, you know, a sinner's prayer. But ultimately, it's just, hey, Lord, please save me. I believe that you, Jesus Christ, is God, the Son of God. The Jesus is the one that forgives me. I believe. Hey, what's next? Get baptized. Show people that you're a Christian now. Now, lots of us get confused because we read the book of Acts and then we say, we read, um, believe and be baptized. And then we think, oh, what? Now, I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but then in order for my salvation to be complete, do I need to get baptized? And the answer is no. You're already saved. But we get baptized, we, well, we baptize people, rather, because that's what we do. It's an, it's, a, it's an outward show to your community that you are now a Christian. That's what God has instructed us to do. And guess what? He's addressing disciples here. Why do we have it in our minds? And you might not, but some of us do, maybe. We have to have someone high up to baptize us. I read here that Jesus gave no specific instructions on who can baptize you. It doesn't have to be a priest. It doesn't have to be a pastor. It could be your friend. It doesn't have to be in, in, even in a church. You find water? What is it? Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch? Hey, there's water. Philip says to him, there's water. Because he asks, what hinders me from being baptized? Hey, there's water. Let's go do it. You believe? Let's go do it. And so we're actually going to have a baptism Hopefully this month, but if not, in the next month. Because guess what? None of you, I, not, not, I shouldn't say none. Um, many of you probably don't realize this, but a person got saved um, just the other week. And the reason you don't know this is because I don't, I don't do altar calls. But after the service, they were going to go home and, um, and, and say there, you know, call upon the name of the Lord. But good old Cece... Who knew this person? Cece um, talked to him on the street, actually. And that's how they came to church. And, um, and so why not do it now? And so the young the, the person just caught upon the name of the Lord just then. And so now the, the normal step is baptism. We're going to have a baptism. And so if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, ever, and you've never been baptized by immersion, by immersion. I'm not talking about an infant baptism, because to me an infant baptism is just our version of a dedication. You know, it doesn't save a child, it just you know, commits them to the Lord, even though the Catholics obviously don't believe that, but that's just my, that's what I, say, I take on an infant baptism. Yeah, that's great that you've been baptized infantly, but, as an infant, but obviously that doesn't count. That's not what God was talking about. It's just a dedication. How about when you show the community that you are now saved person. So if, you, um, if, you've, if you've done that silently and you, you haven't told anyone yet or, or you've never actually been baptized by immersion, then, um, then let me know and, and I'll put you on the list. Teach and teach. That's our third thing, to teach. Because this is where we stop. This is where we stop usually. This is the harder job. That's where I'm getting to about today. Hey, I 
led someone to Jesus Christ. That's great. But now the real work begins. Now the real work begins. The hard work. Preaching the gospel is quite easy. Them accepting it, well, that's great. Teaching them. This is what makes disciples. Not just converting them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever he's talked about. And he talked about a lot of things, didn't he? Even as John says, the, the things that Jesus did, even the books cannot contain all the, the magnificent things that he did. Where to teach that. As in, where to mentor them. And so I'm glad because the only um, one of the persons that knows who got saved in this realm, I won't say their name, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for you to figure it out, if not to the baptism, um, is Wendy. Is Wendy joining us online? Ah, good, I can talk about it. Um, so Wendy, <laughs> Wendy um, humbly accepted um, to, to mentor this person that just got saved, that she's involved in teaching them to observe all things. Teaching, so important. Let's just not stop at converting them. And that's what happened at, at Billy Graham Crusades. They stopped there. They didn't plan far enough ahead. And all those people that came forward, yeah, probably some were pretend, but I think a lot of it were legitimate. And there was just no, no follow-up. And so there's a lot lost through the cracks, as we say. Such a, a missed opportunity where there's so much, um, like so much discipleship could have happened. But the question I have is, how can this be done effectively? How can this be done effectively? And the first one is this. I just used a quote here from Helen Keller. Alone we can do so little. Together we can do so much. And so I asked earlier, is this something that we do individually? And I'll say yes. Is this something that we do corporately as a body of believers? And I'll say yes. Because we all have a part to play. We all have a part to play. And I know that because Romans 12, 4 to 5 says, just one instance in Scripture, but just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. This church, this local body of believers, can only be as strong as the individual believers in the congregation. How many of us need that big toe just to stand on? It's quite important, isn't it? We're missing a big toe. At Fraser Coast. You could be that big toe. Because what I'm getting at, as I was trying to get at during the, the Christmas services, I'm glad I had that opportunity because there were a few um, in the room that you weren't your, 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 um, your devoted Christians. Is that how... Can we play our part? How can I act as the big toe? How can I make disciples if I'm never at church? If I'm never at the place where 
disciples are being made. Where I'm never at the place where we're in this big walk with Christ. This doing this great, humongous, gigantic um, job of making disciples. If I'm never there, if I'm hardly there, if I'm just at home doing my thing, doesn't make sense, right? And so I ask the question: Then why is church attendance dropping within our culture? I think it's apathy. I don't think it's because we're fearful of COVID still. So the question is, where can this be done effectively? Where can this be done effectively? I just gave an imploration of being here on a Sunday but then I'm going to say, on a Sunday, it's not all going to happen. We can't make disciples within 90 minutes. 180 for those who stay for fellowship. Oh, that's way too long. No, I'm usually out of there by then. But seriously, once a week, doesn't work. How are you? How do you have the opportunity to teach a disciple? Probably thinking, home, right? Home is the best place. What's the most effective place? Surely, home. If you can think of somewhere more effective, talk to me after the service. But when I can get alongside a group of people that I feel responsible for, um, for mentoring, edifying, just lifting them up is what we call it, doing all the one another's that we're instructed to in the Bible, I think the most effective place is home. As our relationship with God should not just be a Sunday event. This making disciples is not just a Sunday event. It's an ongoing, probably multi-weekly, a uh, multi-weekly um, thing. And so therefore, in 2023, I just feel on my heart that God's been leading me just to Get more serious, more, more intentional is the best word. More intentional about Fraser Coast Baptist Church making disciples. And I can see the reality in today's culture that, I don't know, back in the day, probably Sunday would have been a great day. But it's not realistic to, in today's society. And you can blame it on economics, Blame it on whatever, but I'm a realist and I understand that for some of us, in order for us to survive, even survive in this world, we do have to work on a Sunday. For some of us. Even with some of our jobs, 
Yes, we can, we can plead with the boss to not have us work be shifted on, uh, but I'm just thinking I'm in the medical field right now, um, since it's so understaffed, just say, oh no, can't work Sunday. Well, that, you know, very, it's unrealistic that we can expect them to have their jobs. And then, more than that, even in today's society, the expectation of everyone being available on a particular time and day just to have this, this process of, of teaching one another and, and edifying one another. And we usually have that on you know, a Wednesday night. Wednesday night's a usual a church um, a gathering, midweek. Or for us, we also have a Thursday morning. But even then, the expectations of that, everyone being available at that time, I think it's unrealistic. And I, I, I blame today's culture. I don't blame people, I blame today's culture. I blame the society, the state of society that we're in with um, inflation and everything that we have to do in order really to survive. So therefore, what's the answer? I feel like if we have more opportunities which will involve people having to step up, get out of their comfort zone. More opportunities in the sense of, hey, we have more homes available to meet in. More times throughout the week to gather and edify one another. Or maybe that. That will help. But it relies on a big thing, and that is opening up our home towards that. It involves us really getting out of our comfort zone and, and foregoing watching that TV show or, or on your device or, or whatever is distracting us from what really should be our focus.